You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. But James chapter 5 is where we are this morning. And if you are taking notes today, the title for this message is simply Be Patience. Simply be patience, which I know is not a title that any of us want to hear when you come to church, but that is the title for today. And that is the exhortation that we are going to see from James today, an exhortation that is not unlike the other exhortations we have seen thus far here in the book of James. You know well by now, if you've been here, that there are 108 verses within this book. And within those 108 verses, there are 54 imperative verbs, these charges that James gives to the reader to live for the the Lord and to live out for the Lord practically in everyday life. The overarching theme of the book of James is practical faith. And that's exactly what we see him exhorting the reader to, to live a life for the Lord that is practical and that is in line with how God has called us. And we have seen James thus far hit on several topics, and he's going to continue to do so. The topics of trials and temptation, the tongue, time management, togetherness, true religion, as well as trusting God. And all of these are what's included when it comes to our life lived in practical faith to the Lord's. And today, as we move now into the final chapter of the book of James, we have seen, again, James cover a lot of ground. A lot of ground, and many of the topics we mentioned above, he has covered, and even some he has recovered. He's circled back around because, hey, the Lord knew that we needed to hear those. But as we come now to chapter 5, James is going to be honing in really on the topic of what it looks like to trust God in our everyday life, as well as our dwelling together with one another in this world. And he starts today with a call to every believer, a call to every believer, again, to be patient and to be established in the Lord in these days that we're living in, these days that the Bible calls the last days, the last days, which started, if you'll remember, all the way back in Acts chapter 2 there at the day of Pentecost, where the prophecy there given by Joel that in the last days that the Lord would pour out his spirit, hey, that happened all the way back when the church was established. So from then till now, We have been in the last days. And so James here is going to exhort the believer there in the text and hear us reading today to be living for the Lord and to be patient and to be established in the Lord in these last days. And he's going to do so starting out in perhaps an unexpected way. An unexpected way thereby issuing what is going to be a very harsh rebuke and a warning to the wealthy and those that were oppressing those of the church in that day. And it is, again, a harsh rebuke that gives way into the exhortation for the reader to establish and to be patient there in the Lord as they wait for the Lord to come. And so we're going to pick up in James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 together. We're going to pray one more time, and then we're going to continue on. So James chapter 5, verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, they are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days, and indeed the wages of the laborers who who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers, they have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Let's pray together before we keep going. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you so much 
for this day. It's so much, God, and indeed, for the time of worship that we've had today, the time to just exalt your name. Indeed, you are, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Worthy, Jesus, are you, the Lamb that was slain. Lord, we just praise you. And we thank you so much that as we have sung and as we have worshiped, Lord, and as we turn our attention to your word, that, God, you invite us into this time. You want to lead us in this time. And so we ask, and we ask expectantly that you would be our teacher, that you would lead us now and you would help us, Father, to hear what you have to say to us in your word, that we would realize that what you have written there all those years back, though they still are relevant to us today. And we ask for your help in understanding, and we ask for your help in applying. And we ask this again expectantly, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, James here, he pulls no punches in this first section of the chapter as he here issues this warning to the rich. And it falls in line perfectly, if you've been with us, with the previous chapter, with James chapter 4, where the entire thrust of that chapter was that of humility and submission to and before the Lord. As he shared with us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and how we are called to submit to the Lord, to draw near to him, knowing that he draws near to us. That we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and know that he will lift us up. James shared with the reader that, hey, humility and submission to the Lord that is the call for us. And the rich, as the text would indicate, shown here by James, well, they exemplified perhaps what it looked like to live any way other than humbly and submitted there to the Lord. And James, again, he comes out swinging, calling for the rich there to weep and to howl for the miseries that were coming upon them. Misery that was going to be found when the temporal and the corrupt nature of their actions, as well as their wealth, well, when that was discovered. That's what James says there in verses two through three. We're going to read them again to make sure that we have them down. He says, your riches, your riches are corrupted and your garments, they're moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like a fire. You have heaped up treasure in these last days. James here, what he's doing is he's seeking here to show the futility of the riches that the rich possess, as well as the overhyped up trust that they put into it. The reality is that James is wanting to point out to the, to the rich and to the oppressor that, hey, what you're putting your trust in, that which you are hold tight, holding tight to, well, guess what? It's not going to last. In fact, you can already see decay on it now. He says that their riches are corrupted. They're no good. That their garments, which would have been expensive and elaborate within that day, that they're moth-eaten. They have holes in them. The gold and the silver is corroded. He's saying it's all subject to wear. It's subject to tear. It's subject to the corruption and the decay, just like everything else in this fallen world that is around us. And what's more is he says that that corrosion and the decay, that it's against them. It's a witness against them there in these last days. Days where, as he exhorted just one chapter ago, where humility and submission to the Lord and a giving of ourselves to him, where that is what we are called to. Where that is what every believer, every person is called to submit to the Lord. However, the rich show that they are far from the Lord here by heaping up for themselves treasures on earth. And James says that this is a witness against them. It's indicative of where their heart is. It's indicative of where their heart lies. And then James, what he does is he takes it a step further here in this rebuke. Because what he does is he warns the rich of their riches being against them, of being that which is in front of them. It's decaying, but yet they're so hung up on it. But then notice that he rebukes them for the way that they attained it. 
The way they attained it in verse four, again, he says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. See, James here points out that no one, namely the Lord, is ignorant of how the rich here in this text became rich. He's like, look, the Lord knows the very wages that you kept back, indicating that they were doing some shady business with those that they had employed. He seeks to say, look, even just the riches, it is indicating that God, hey, he knows about what you're doing. He knows what's going on. And what's more, he says, the people that you wronged, well, the Lord hears their cries as well. The Lord hears their cries. The Lord hears them as they pray as well. As you oppress, understand it does not go unnoticed. And he says that the workers, that their cries have reached. And he names the Lord there, the Lord of Sabbath. And literally for your note takers, what that means is the Lord of hosts. And what James is doing here is he's indicating to the authority of the Lord, not only the authority of the Lord himself, but the authority that he holds over heaven's armies. As he calls him there, the Lord of, the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts, he's referencing there the Lord of heaven's ranks, meant to give further warning there to them that, hey, guess what? The Lord, hey, he knows what you're doing. And the Lord, he is in charge. The Lord knows what you're doing, and he is in charge. All in all here, James is speaking to the faith of the rich put in their riches and says, hey, it's misplaced. And it's misplaced again because of the decay, the corrosion, the moth-eaten clothes that they have, all that they are putting their trust in that is temporal and decaying. He says, hey, it's not good. What's more is the way that you attained it. Well, that too is not good, and that is not going unnoticed. And now before we seek to draw some application from this, and there is application for every one of us in here, every, every one of us in here, the, the word of God speaks to, understand that some clarification needs to be made on the reality that, that God doesn't hate you if you have money in your bank account right now. Like the Lord doesn't hate you, and he's not, you're not automatically this enemy of God if you have wealth, if you are okay in this world financially. Understand that because you make us, there's not a certain dollar amount you get to, and all of a sudden you're like, well, now I'm an enemy of the Lord. That's not the, that's not the thing. What we see here that James is pointing out is the reality that a trust that is put in the temporal, a trust that is put in finances and the shady ways of attaining it, well, that right there, that is what puts us at enmity with the Lord. That is what puts us in a place where we are not close to the Lord's hearts. But the simple possession of money, if you have money in your bank account today, which according to and compared to the rest of the world means that you are wealthy. If you are here today living in the United States, I don't care what your bottom line is, compared to the rest of the world, we are wealthy. What we know is that it's not the money that is evil. It's the elevation of it or the sinful use of it. That is what we see represented in this text. That's what we see represented in the rest of the Bible. And so understand that if you have money today, if you are rich, then hey, understand that the Lord doesn't hate you. The Lord is not mad at you, nor are you an enemy of the Lord. Unless, of course, you are using it in the way that James here points out. And so with that clarification, the application for us today is, again, understand that James is calling here the rich out for their actions, calling them out for their hope for their faith, for their desire, and for their fraudulent ways of attaining money and attaining wealth. 
And he's pointing out here that it's not the money that is evil, but it's the actions, it's the heart of the individuals that have it and that are utilizing it in the way that they are. And for us, what, is th- what this does is it gives us a, a really good heart check in our hearts and minds to remember that, hey, the, the things of this world, the money in your bank accounts, the retirement fund that you have built or you're drawing from now, the business that you have, the business you manage or you own or you're walking in or whatever it is, that it is all subject to decay. It is all subject to the decay and the fallenness of this world because it's just stuff in this world. And what matters and what James is wanting to point out, what he has been pointing out is going to continue to point out is that we as believers need to submit to the Lord and see that he is our aim, that he is what we shoot for and he is what we desire above all else and that we follow after him. As he shares there of the wealth being corroded, the gold and the silver decaying. Well, that's a reality that is still true today for us. And again, it's not the wealth that you have that is the sin. It is the elevation of it and how it gets in the way of you seeking after the Lord. Or how it gets in the way of you following the Lord as he wants you to do so. Perhaps with your wealth or with your resources or with your business. We need to realize that everything that we have in this world that is temporal and decaying, that, hey, it's there. But also, too, is it not only there, but it's been given to us by the Lord to use while we're here for his glory. And so we are called to do so. And as such, this gives us a great question today of what our view is. To ask ourselves, what is our view on riches? What is our view on our finances as we're here on the earth? Is it all that there is in our way? Or do we realize that, yeah, it's here now, but eventually it's all gone. And that's where we are here. It's all the Lord's. If you're a believer here today, understand that your life and everything in it, it belongs to the Lord because the Lord bought you with the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary as you accepted that free gift of salvation. Understand that the Lord, he has you and everything that you have, it belongs to him. And so do you submit it to him or are you just hung up on the fact that you have it? However much it is, are you hung up on it? And I shouldn't even have to say that, hey, if you're attaining riches in a way that's shady, to stop doing it, but I'm going to. The Bible seeks to say here, guess what? The Lord sees you. Stop doing it. If you are shady in your business, if you're shady in your attaining of wealth, if you own a business and you underpay your employees or you offer a service and you do something weird with the finances, quit it. And if you think that you're not getting, if you're getting away with it, the Lord knows and the Lord judges rightly. And James here lays this out, and really what it does is it issues a warning there for the rich of the day. As well, it leads into, as I said, this exhortation that he is now going to be giving to the church. And we're going to see here in this exhortation that he is going to exhort the church to patience. And he's going to exhort them to patience and establishment of their hearts and lives in the Lord as they are living in these last days. So pick up me there in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 12. Where he says, then therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have also heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, 
But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgments. James outlines and gives this stark rebuke and warning to the rich, those that were oppressing of the day. And understand that the church in this time and in this context, well, they were of the poorest of the people. And as such, the rich of the day, well, they took advantage of that. We see even within the word of God that the rich within the church, they even at times would seek to take advantage of those that were poor or not as well off financially. And so here, as James issues this warning, he now turns the attention to the ones who are on the other end of that, who are on the other end of that oppression. And you can imagine sitting there and seeing this harsh rebuke by James and hearing how he speaks to the people and imagining, okay, now he's going to talk to me and I'm ready to hear what he has to say because James, he's probably going to hear, tell me what I want to hear. The anticipation for the exhortation that was coming was probably that of, all right, James, tell me what to do about it. Let's figure this out. Show me how to end the oppression of the rich. Show me what to do. But instead, we notice that he exhorts them to patience. Which when you think about it in our study of the book of James, if you've been with us, really ties into what we studied all the way back in chapter 1. Where in chapter 1, you'll remember these verses well. They're great verses for every believer. In verses 19 and 20 of James 1, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, James mentioned that truth all the way back in chapter 1. And if you missed that study, I would encourage you to go back. Because again, that is, a, that is a truth that every one of us needs to apply to our lives. And he here gives an opportunity to apply that principle to the life of the believer. And to help apply the principle, he lays down exhortation to patience. But he also is going to couple it with some illustration and some examples that we're going to see in a moment. But the exhortation first is quite simple. As James says, therefore, having laid out the situation, all that's going on, all of the oppression there of those that were in that day, he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And there's some key words within this whole section that help this really come to life. And the first one is that word patience itself. It's a fun Greek word. It's the word makrothemeo. And you can jot that down and practice saying it in front of the mirror later. But it simply means there, and I love this, it means literally to be long of spirits, to persevere patiently and bravely in persistent misfortunes and troubles. It is a patience that calls one to hold the line, to not lose hearts. And James here, having laid down what was going on, he says, and he calls the reader to have this type of patience in the midst of the world's fallenness as they wait for the coming of the Lord's. And he gives an illustration there of the farmer, which we will look at more in just a moment. But then notice he repeats the exhortation. Notice there he repeats it there. And this time he adds another word. He says, hey, there be patience. You also be patient. But then he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that word establish is the one that we're going to focus on. Or it's the Greek word sterizo, which means to set firm which means to fix, or it means to confirm in one's mind or confirm one's mind to a steadfast point or position, or in the case of a believer, to a person. In the case of a believer, to a person, James tells the reader to be patient and to establish their hearts as they wait for the coming of the Lord and gives weight to the exhortation by sharing the fact that the coming of the Lord, well, it's at hand's. That it's at hand, and he tells them there in verse 9, continuing the exhortation to not grumble, lest you be condemned. And again, this goes back to the exhortation from James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. 
Where James there had said, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James knew that grumbling, well, that would lead to sin. Lead to the wrath of man, which does not produce the righteousness of God. And no doubt, James, as he gives this exhortation, the reader were probably not expecting that. In fact, they probably were a bit disappointed. They probably were a bit disappointed. Perhaps they wanted James to tell them how to overthrow the rich, how to end the oppression of of the ones who held sway over their lives. However, James, what he does is he exhorts them to what they truly needed. And that was a continued, going back to chapter 4, a continued humility and submission to the Lord, to be patient in the life that we live, leading up to the sure return of the Lord and the eventual real and right judgments of evil. Trusting his judgments and his working on and in the lives of those evil and those oppressors. And the call there for the readers then is the call for us reading this today, which is not, understand, even amongst the church, the popular thought or the popular opinion. However, it is the biblical one because it comes from the Bible. That in a world that has fallen, the wrath of man that is taken out on evil, when it comes not from a life that is submitted to the Lord, but when it comes from the flesh and the desire to see right, because I know what's right, done, absent from the word of God, that that is not going to produce the righteousness of God. It never will. And that though persecution arises, we are not called to rise up and meet it with retaliation that is within our flesh, as we are all so prone to do, but to establish ourselves in the Lord and live patiently with him, letting him lead and guide us. And this call here speaks to really both extremes of believers. By both extremes, what I mean is really you can categorize it into two camps where you've got the fearful and you've got the fighter. You've got the fearful and you've got the fighter. And there's both that are present everywhere within the church. It's present within this church. You know which one you are. I probably know which one you are from talking to you. And this exhortation here by James speaks to both. To the fearful, it speaks actually of being bold in the Lord. Because understand, as, as, as the oppression was happening, as things were going wrong there in that day, as they do in our day and are going to, going to be until Jesus fixes it, what we know is that there is this propensity, there would have been this propensity for people to say, ah, it's hard, I'm just going to hide out and wait. I'm going to be fearful. But what this here does, as James says, be patient, establish your heart and mind, establish yourself in the Lord, fix yourself on him. Well, what it does is it does away with any need for fear. It does away with any need for fear because you know where you're at. You know who you're looking to. You know who you're going with. James here would Confirm what Jesus said in Matthew, where he said there to not fear those who can kill the body, but instead fear the one who can throw both body and spirit into hell. James, as he exhorts to patience, as he exhorts to an establishment of one's life in the Lord who is surely coming, man, that right there turns the fearful to say, ah, you know what? I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear the here and now. And so he speaks to the fearful, but he also speaks to the fighter. He speaks to the fighter and reminds the fighter, the one who, like many of us, would love to rile up and just do it ourselves. He reminds the fighter who's really in charge. He reminds the fighter that submission to the will and perfect judgment of God, that that is what is needed and that is what will lead to the righteousness of God. And we see this time and time again throughout the word of God. That as those who are following the Lord are following him and seeking after him and they face adversity, they face oppression, they face persecution, that God is right there to fight for them. 
that God is right there to lead them as they establish their way in him, that he shows them how to walk. He shows them how to fight rightly should they need to. And to both of these camps of people, to all believers, really, submission to the Lord, true establishing and waiting for him, that will give, James is saying, insights in how to walk and keep us from seeking to claim our own righteousness and instead producing the wrath that does not produce the righteousness of God. And, you know, as I was praying through this study and thinking through this text, you know, the past two years have been a great example of this. I know for me personally, you know, March is coming up and March is a fun time for me because that's two years for me being the senior pastor here, which is a really cool thing, which also means that I took over in March of 2020, which if you were around then, you, you know what that meant for the world. And so, you know, I, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. It is crazy because the world has fallen. And what I know is that in that time, that as I was taking over this church as a senior pastor and just seeking to shepherd and do what God called me to do here, that there were voices everywhere, even in my own, even in my own heart and mind, voices and things everywhere. And the Lord spoke to me in, in, a, in a few ways at one point in time and said, hey, don't let the squeaky wheel get the grease. Don't let the fearful sway your decision. Don't let the angry fighter sway your decision. Follow me follow after me. And what we did here at Calvary Chapel Paris, we did. And I know that one day I stand accountable before the Lord to do so, but what I know, and what I know that I can stand before the Lord and say is, hey, I, I followed after you. That I established my heart and mind in you. And there are times, I'll be honest with you, where I was like, man, what that person says is great. How that person's is angry, I want to be angry. That person's afraid, I want to be afraid. All of these different things. And what I needed and what we need always is to say, Lord, you know the best way. And so I'm going to establish, I'm going to fix my heart and mind on you and let you lead. And the past few years is a great example for us. But again, this world is not growing ever more good. It's growing all the more evil. And it will be that way forever. And Jesus was honest with us as the church that as we follow him, as we live in this world, we will have tribulation. That as we follow after him, that the world will hate us. That's a reality. But as we are patiently established in the heart and mind of the Lord, and in his word daily, praying, seeking him daily, well, then we know that he's going to lead us perfectly. Amen. And that's a reality. And perhaps he will call for us just to sit and pray and to continue with the line that we're going. You know, we see within the word of God that God rallies his people to different things at different times and to do whatever, but it is always within the Lord's parameters and is always reflected of his character and his nature, not of the flesh. If it's of the flesh, the righteousness of God is not produced. And so James here says to the oppressed and the persecuted to be patient and establish themselves in the Lord. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't seek to take it into your own hands. Follow after him and he will lead you. And James is a good teacher and writer. What he does is he helps us to see this by giving an illustration, but then also some examples this illustration of the farmer here, but then also the examples of the Old Testament prophets as well as Job to seek to show what it looks like to patiently wait for what is coming as well as to be consistent and to establish oneself in the Lord. And he speaks there first of the farmer. There in verse seven, what does he say? Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Again, within that agrarian society, after his initial exhortation, he says, look to the farmer. And this, what it does is it really gives insight into the expectancy 
that the believer is called to have in the sure return of the Lord. And I love that he uses the farmer as the example because I know nothing about farmer, just farming, just a clear disclaimer right now. I'm not a farmer by any means. But what I know is that a farmer has the faith in the ground that he's tilled and the soil and the seeds and all the things that they're going to put that into the ground that there's going to be a yield. There's going to be a crop. Something's going to come up. And I love that he uses this example of a farmer because what we have in the expected return of Jesus is way more sure than that of plants coming up out of the ground. Because again, this world is still falling. And as the farmer has faith, that as he cultivates the land, puts in the right seed and seeks and prays and looks for the rain, that that's going to come and a crop is going to come in the same way we are called to patiently establish ourselves in the Lord, knowing that he will come. Knowing that he is faithful. And that he is faithful in the meantime to lead us as we follow him before he comes. And James hits on that and shows us that. And also, too, just another point of application, because it's too easy not to say, and I don't want to miss it, is that as James uses a farmer, speaking of the patient waiting for the return of the Lord, well, it really shows us a waiting that is not passive. Because again, I know very little to nothing about farming, but what I know is that like, 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 like growing things, it takes water, and growing things takes weeding. Growing things takes having a pellet gun so you can bust, you know, Peter Rabbit as he comes to try to nibble on your leaves and things like that. Like, I, I understand that there is work that goes into the before, the during, and the after. In the same way that as we as the church patiently wait for the Lord to come and we establish our hearts and lives, it's not a passive waiting, it's a serving unto the Lord. Our waiting is a missional waiting, a living and a serving Him and letting Him lead our lives to share what He's doing to the world around us. And so understand that as we see that here, this waiting of the farmer, this patient expectancy of the farmer, that we can have that as well. And we are to work in the meantime. So James speaks of the farmer, but then he moves to an example of the Old Testament prophets. And you'll remember that he's speaking here. James is speaking to the early church, which was predominantly made up of Jews. And as such, every one of them would have known of the Old Testament prophets that there spoke to Israel. And as they spoke to Israel, God gave them specific instructions, specific words. And as you read the prophets, you realize that God is crazy sometimes and gave some really crazy specific words and some specific motions to follow. But they didn't. And they spoke his words. They walked faithful with him because they had established their hearts and lives in him. And they waited patiently for the right judgment of the Lord and spoke rightly for the Lord as he called them to, even amongst those that should have been following the Lord. Like that's what I like about the prophets as the example, is the reality that as they are there, they're not just speaking to a world around them that is evil, they're speaking to those that should have known better. And those that should have known better were going every which way that the world would draw them, much of the same way that the church does and has and will do until Jesus comes and makes it all right again. Indeed, we as people will deviate but that doesn't mean that we can't continue as believers, true to the Lord, to stay established and to be patient and to walk with him in this life, even if everyone around us goes the other way. It was the Old Testament prophets who had this established heart and this patience in the Lord to see his right judgment come. And you see within there that, I, and I love the word of God because it paints all of our Bible heroes as like real humans. You know, James 5, 17, what we're going to see next week says Elijah was a man with a nature like mine. Like, I love that because that means that Elijah was a dirtbag sinner just like I am. And so this superhero of the faith, 
the Lord met him as a human because he was a human. And I realized that I can serve the Lord too, just like Elijah, if I pray and if I seek after him. And with the prophets, what we see there is we see interactions and interchanges between the Lord. I think of Habakkuk specifically. Habakkuk there who asked the Lord what's going on. And he's like, I'm sending the Chaldeans. He's like, no, you're not. You wouldn't do that. He's like, watch. And he reveals it to him. And as such, Habakkuk, he says, all right, you're the Lord. I'm not. You're in charge. And continued on an established, patient trajectory with him. And it came from a heart that was set on the Lord's. And lastly, Job is a prime example that James uses here of endurance and trusting the Lord in hardship. See, James knew that they would have heard of the endurance of Job. He mentions that there, knowing that they would have known that story. And he brings that to the reader's memory. Job, who you know if you've read it, had it all, and was loyal to the Lord. Was loyal to the Lord, but, and he remained that way, though the Lord allowed Satan to come and attack his life mercilessly, attack his family and his body, and there bring him to ruin. And as you read the book of Job, and I would encourage you to do so, read the book of Job as you see it and as you watch there, Job's answers and his reactions, you can see a man who was trusting and established and patiently waiting there with the Lord. And even in moments, again, as our Bible heroes do, he had a moment of like, hey, Lord, do you really know what's going on? When the Lord showed himself to him, he was like, yeah, you you know what's going on. And you know, friends, the Lord still knows today what's going on. The Lord still knows today, as he did in James' day when he gave this exhortation, the Lord still knows today what is going on. What more is that the Lord knows what he's doing about it. And you know, I'm so thankful for the fact that as we read the Bible and we see the world around us, that it matches up. That yes, this world is growing increasingly more dark. And that's not going to change. The world would seek to say that the world is getting better, that humans are growing and evolving into things that are better. That's a lie from the pit of hell, man. Because what we see is that our world is fallen and groaning for when the Lord is going to make it new again. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord has us here in this time right now that we're living in to walk with him through that. And we know how to do that and we walk rightly as we submit to him and as we patiently establish our hearts and lives in him. And that's really where the application comes for us today, church. And verse 12, we're going to save for next week, just letting you know I'm not leaving you hanging or trying to skip over it. The application comes for us today in asking ourselves, okay, am I living in this world, whether it's a fearful person or a fighter or somewhere in between, whatever it may be, or maybe you vacillate or have changed or whatever it is, are you walking in a way where your flesh is built up, where your flesh is what is calling the shots, or are you established and have your heart and life established in him so that he is leading you? Are you patiently expectant of the Lord's return and knowing that when he comes, everything's going to be set right? That's what we know from the word of God is that as the Lord comes physically to set up his kingdom, as Jordan prayed earlier, every knee will bow. Whether they want to or not, because they will know who the Lord is. And it is that that we as his church here and now living in this world need to realize is coming. And as such, we can walk patiently and established in him. And so are you. And you have to answer for you. I can't answer for you. I have to answer for Justin. I can't answer for you. Are you in your life right now established in the Lord and patiently waiting for what we know is coming? And is your life patterned after that? Or are you calling the shots? Are you letting your life and your flesh and your ideas and your propensity to action or to withdraw, are you letting that drive the boat or are you letting God drive? 
Are you letting him lead or are you? Understand that one of those is better than the other. And if you're confused, it's God leading that is the better one. And it takes us allowing him to lead. It takes us in this life that we live in. And just, let's, we've talked a lot about the world being evil. Let's talk about just our world. Just make it personal this morning. Your world, your life, your day-to-day, your home life, your work life, your school life, whatever life it is that you have, retirement, uh, you know, self-employed, work for somebody, a manager, whatever it may be, student, teacher. In your life, are you calling the shots or are you allowing the Lord to call the shots and to lead? Are you established and patiently waiting as you walk with him in this world or are you just doing it yourself? Again, one of those is the better option. And as such, we have today an opportunity because God has given us this day to say, Lord, I want to give you me. I want to establish my heart and life in you and patiently look for what you want to do in my life here and now and in the future. And as you do that, understand that God is faithful always to lead you. You know, on Wednesday nights, we're almost done with James here on Sundays, but on Wednesday nights, we're in Matthew. We're almost done with Matthew. After that, we're going to Genesis, like I said. And so that's going to be really fun to see there the beginning of everything because God is big. He is cool. It's so good. But as we get to the end of Matthew, as we get to the end of Matthew, what we're going to see is there is Jesus has risen from the dead victoriously because he's amazing. As we're going to see that as he's getting ready to ascend, he's there speaking to his disciples. And the last things that he said to his disciples there as he's getting ready to roll that Matthew records for us is that, hey, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. All authority. That means all authority. That means Jesus is in charge. That means Jesus is the Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is in charge. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And so go now and make disciples of the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And that was true for them there that heard him directly. That's true for us here today, reading that and hearing that. The sure return of the Lord is sure. It is real. And the presence of the Lord in our lives today is also real. And so as we establish our hearts and lives in him, as we patiently wait for that sure return of the Lord and we give him everything, you can trust that God is with you and he's going to lead you every step of the way, and he's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you as he promised that, hey, as you're following me, I'm right there. Let's go. As we draw near to the Lord, he draws near to us. And so what is it for you today? What is it for you tomorrow if the Lord brings tomorrow? I pray for all of us that it is that we would establish our hearts and lives in him and patiently wait for his sure return. And as we are doing so, working, showing him to the world around us. Let's pray.